Hello and welcome to the Cycling Central Tour de France podcast. I'm Philip Gomes and with me are Jamie Finch Penninger and Anthony Tan. Well, stage 15 promised much, but in the end it was another stalemate amongst the big hitters. A Colombian won the stage, but not the one we were expecting. It was the fabulously named Jarlinson Pantano who used his descending skills as much as his climbing talents to finish first on the mountainous 160k route in the Jura Mountains to give I Am Cycling, who will be folding at the end of the season, its first victory on the Tour. Um, a little bit too late, really, isn't it? Pantano had sprinted breakaway, breakaway companion Raffle Micah of Tinkoff, with Micah taking the KOM jersey off the shoulders of Thomas de Ghent uh, at the end of the stage. Chris Froome and Sky fended off some, let's face it, pretty feeble attacks from the top 10 riders, Fabio Roux, Valverde, Alejandro Valverde, Romain Bardet, um, to retain his lead over Trek Segafredo's Bauka Molema and Orca Bike Exchange's Adam Yates. Notably, though, I suppose uh, on the stage was that Richie Port finished uh, three minutes, seven seconds behind Pantano, but actually moved up uh, into seventh place overall, which is kind of promising as far as a uh, podium place is concerned for him later in the race. But his teammate TJ Mangardren, on the other hand, lost one minute, 28 seconds to the leading riders and dropped to eighth overall. So a bit of this, bit of that for BMC. Tanny, what did you make of the stage? It was kind of interesting how the top two riders on the stage are the guys who don't have well whose teams are folding at the end of the year so you could say that Pantano's win was not just a tour winning stage it was perhaps a, a contract winning stage victory um, I don't really know much about Pantano other than I like his name a lot I, I picked Micah to win so I wasn't uh, too far off but you know it's kind of a all these sprints against uh, by non-sprinters are always unusual. For me, it was a, yeah, it was quite uneventful in terms of GC read boring because, and I I, I think I know why. Is is simply Team Sky are just too strong. Um, Jamie, mm. I'll, I'll jump in there on Pantano. Actually, he's he's a very good rider. He came fourth in overall in the Tour de Suisse, and he won that final stage there. So he's a classy bike rider, and I don't think he would have had much trouble finding a contract at the end of the year, regardless. But he's Upped his asking price, certainly, by winning here. Um, yeah, I had Reichen back for last stage, so we can, we can, I can gloat about him for a while because he moved up quite a bit on the overall standings and looked very good for coming fourth. And Yeah, he, he looks like a, a solid rider. I've been very impressed with him in the past. Um, he should have won a stage of the Giro, except Bennett in Schausti sat on him the entire way up a climb and then just left him at the top. And I know Reichen back wasn't too happy with that afterwards. He was... He was swearing at Inchasty and not not particularly happy. So it's yeah, good to see him back on track and in the hunt for a stage stage victory at a Grand Tour. Uh, a rider like Nibali, Vincenzo Nibali from Astana, he um, he gave it a bit of a nudge uh, for a little bit, and he was one of the guys a lot of people kind of thought could win that stage as well on a breakaway, considering he's he's really not there for himself. Yeah, I mean he's he he did ride for Aru towards the end, but he was pr pretty much half cooked by then. So I thought, you know, we saw moves by Nibali, we saw a move by Dumoulin. They all looked quite promising, actually. It was it was a strange day, really, the Grand Colombier. I, I think um, from what we saw in 2012 when the Grand Colombier was first used, Bradley Wiggins, who, who won overall that year, said he felt it was the hardest stage 
of the Tour de France that he rode, but the hardest stage doesn't always translate to the most exciting stage. And I think, you know, we had over 4,000 metres of climbing, yet, yeah, we didn't really see fireworks in the GC. And like I said before, I think Team Sky, you know, you've got guys like, for example, Nieve and Lander, I mean, are they any lesser rider than Richie Port, for example? My argument, no, they're not, but they're riding for Chris Froome. So when you've got guys like Nieve, Lander, uh, Walt Poles riding for you, at setting this tempo, which then uh, nullifies any attacks, if there are any attacks or dis- discourages any attacks from other teams, I mean... We we keep wondering why is Quintana keeps keeps sitting on Froome's will. Well, perhaps he he can't attack. Uh, well, that's what Richie Port said post race. He said if we could, we would have. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I agree with what Tanny says. I mean, those riders, Valpools, Mikel Nieve, Mikel Lander. Um, I'm missing other ones there. Uh, Garrett Thomas. I mean, mm-hmm. who he considered might even be in line for a top five or top three on GC in this tour. I mean, the the talent never ends with with Team Sky, and I think they're I think they're rationing their talent as well. We didn't see much of it in the first few weeks because they didn't need to do do that much, and now they're coming to the fore when they need to um, chase down and nullify the moves on those big clients. So. Um, yesterday on the on the Stage Fourteen podcast, we talked a lot about the sprint uh, sprint competition, the fact that uh, maybe. Cav has got a little bit of a sniff, but, you know, Sagan's good enough to fend them off and keep them away from winning green. Um, but I think in, in some ways we kind of overlooked the KOM and, and uh, with the Ghent and, and Micah. Um, that was a pretty good battle. Micah ended up being uh, the most aggressive rider on the stage as well. Deserved? Yes, um, though I think you have to question why de Ghent wasn't able to make it into a 20-man move, uh, 20-man break and defend you know have a go at defending his mountains classification because it wasn't a battle at all Micah just popped off the front of the top of the climbs and took the points except for one where for some reason Tommy Berkeley decided to go over the top <laughs> first so yeah I think with um De Ghent it's yeah he's he's not a a natural climber he's a very good climber but when uh, I think uh people underestimate just how hard it is to make that break if you saw them going on the Grand Columbia it, it was really quite difficult and sometimes it's uh, much easier once you get in the break than actually getting in that break if you speak to riders who get in breakaways a lot I mean I remember Stuart O'Grady for example who's very good at picking the breakaway then getting in it it's uh, that first hour or two which you don't see on television which we did see last night, you know, it, it can it's very difficult. So uh, then also you had De Ghent, he was in a long breakaway on Von 2. I mean, the, the effort that he expended there probably um, had something to do with last night as well. But I think he can uh, come back. Yeah, that, that classification for me is perhaps the one which is will be the most hotly contested. But just between those two riders, because realistically no one else is in the game. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Well, they'd have to miss a break. I mean, like we saw again, because then you can then you can seriously lose a lot of points. Well, not lose, but miss the opportunity to um, gain a lot of points, which somebody else will take, and then then you suddenly ride back into a dogfight with somebody. Um, looking at uh, BMC Richie Port, TJ Van Garderen, a uh, bit of a flip there overnight. Uh, Port is looking pretty good. I mean, he's he's kind of like clawing his way into it. You know, just struggle, but getting there. Whereas Van Garderen um, did not have good legs and appeared a bit exposed overnight. 
Yeah, Van Gardner's been going backwards, hasn't he? Um, mm. Pretty much the entire tour, slowly, but um, going backwards. I mean, you can say that Richie Port was gaining on on the on the standings, but he hasn't gained on he hasn't taken any time on the podium contenders. So, I mean, again, in a sense, but at the same time, he's in the same position where he was on time. So, yeah, still he's four minutes twenty seven behind um, Chris Froome. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, he's he's not. Let's hope they last. He's not going any better than Froome or Molomo for for mine anyway. And uh, I mean, I'm just going to put the question out there: Do does Van Garderen does he have a right to sort of feel I don't know a bit left out given that Piper was instrumental in bringing Port across to BMC and you know we've had this whole co leadership. Um, you know, speculation and how how it will work, and I I think maybe that has played into TJ's head, and and also Van Garderen has never been a a natural climber. He's a very good time trialist. He's also a very good climber, but he's, for example, but you contrast that with Richie Port, who's pretty much a better time trialist and a a better climber. So it's for me, it's natural that BMC. I guess, put a few more eggs in Richie's basket than uh, TJ's. Yeah, I think uh, their plan originally was that uh, they would let the road decide. And I think as we get closer to the end of the race, the road is pretty much decided already. Should they have split them up, though, and said, OK, TJ, you're taking the Vuelta or the Giro, and Richie, you get the you get the tour squad? Because they're not helping each other. That's That's clear from what we've seen on the road. And it doesn't look like they're gaining anything from the other being there. They're just, you know... They're fighting against each other. I mean, as much as anything, because um, we see Port um, gaining gaining a position by virtue of Vanguard and falling. So, yeah, I, I would say um, I think with a team like this, where you don't you don't have a a guy who's been a proven performer, I think that might happen next year, Jamie, based on what's happened this year. But I think what what I think would would be detrimental if you got a team who is centered around a sprinter as well as centered around a GC rider that doesn't work because you saw in um the year Wiggins won in 2012 again um Cavendish was pretty much left to his own devices he won three stages but you know he he pretty much did it on his own so this whole thing having two leaders go for GC who are not who have who haven't made the podium I'm I'm okay with it uh, Quintana, a lot was expected, but nothing really delivered, really. Yeah, well, I mean, as as they said, I mean, he's waiting for a moment, as Richie said, if they could attack, they would have, and they're waiting for a moment of weakness that didn't come. And I don't think that final to the to the stage wasn't wasn't exactly in in line with the proper attack because there's you know eight kilometers of pretty hard flat along the bottom there, which we saw. Um, well, Pantana made um, the time back up on the descent, mm-hmm. and then uh, Reichenbach and Villemoz almost made it back on on the on the um, on the flat to the finish. So, it, there was plenty of time that a group would have made up on a lone escapee like Quintana. So, I think you know, I think we'll I think we'll see him have a really hot go at the mountain time trial, and then we'll probably he'll probably reevaluate from there and see how much time he has to make up. Well, let's um, let's look ahead at uh, at stage sixteen. Uh, sprint, uh, not really a sprinter stage, a roller stage. Anthony, a- anything like it could be a sprint or roller stage, but yeah, it's it's great for a breakaway because it's 
it is undulating and we're, we're getting, you know, the day before the second and final rest day, you know, people are getting pretty tired. Like I said, this, this stage was, uh, the stage last night was one of the hardest of the, the tour so far. So, uh, but, you know, famously this finishes in the town where Cancellara comes from in Bern and, uh, you know, he'll be, it's almost a stage made for him if, Cancellara was in his heyday, but you know he's he's retiring at the end of this year for for good reason because he's not really at his best anymore. But I wouldn't. He's he's definitely going to give it a go. Um, the region, uh, the start anyway, is known for its toys. Yeah, the, cap- the capital <laughs> of toys. Right. Well, um, neither Jamie or I are parents yet, so we don't really have much to do with buying toys for. Oh, I guess I could buy toys for my niece and nephew, but I don't. <laughs> bad uncle <laughs> I think you know we need uh, we need a boost so maybe a few uh, a few of the riders uh, can throw a few toys out of their cots um, when they get into the area that would be kind of nice you know well actually I sort of to um, move away from toys since I don't have too much <laughs> this is not a toy story uh, I will say last night I think Dave McKenzie made a really good point he said if the guys are going to go uh, to try and attack Froome, they need to go from a, a long way out. They need to do the 100-kilometre breakaway because everything they're doing now is playing into the hands of Sky. This is... They rode perfectly. You know, I've spoken before. You know, they have this on-off scenario with their with their domestiques. And uh, naturally, you know, that's why you see some guys really good one day and the other guys, they're sitting at the back there another day. But... Uh, you, you know, if if you want to hand the Tour de France on a platter to Froome, then keep doing what they're doing. But if a rider, say, Quintana was going to try and do a long-range long range run early, mm. it's going to pretty well rub him out later on. I mean, these are considerable efforts. I mean, it's a big, a big commitment. Yeah, and you'd have to set it up with um, a really hard start to the stage where they shell a lot of those sky riders because otherwise it's six sky riders versus, you know, one guy in a one guy in a long move so and you're not going to win that battle ever yeah it's a, it's a massive risk but if you don't risk you won't get the reward and so if, if Quintana is happy to sit where he is and Mollimer and Port and all these guys then you're going to have the same you're going to have the same GC I mean also there's a precedent that's been set 2012 2013 2015 you, you know the 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 GC all, all won by Skyriders the GC didn't change in the final week um, sorry, we, I should sorry, I should say the Majorn didn't change in the final week. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay, so tonight uh, we have uh, any 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 picks for tonight to win? Uh, Cancellara. What? Jamie? I, I would have said Michael Matthews if he hadn't already won a stage because I would have felt that Orica would have laid it all on the line for for them to get a win there. But since they've got a win, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean. I don't know, maybe, maybe they'll put MP in a break or something. I'll go MP. I like MP. Okay, all right. I'm going to go with Rui Costa. Um, <laughs> tonight, uh, we are live on SBS from, uh, from 10 p.m., guaranteed to be the most amazing scenery because the Swiss, the Swiss races are just, uh, you know, every, every vista, every shot is, uh, is a beautiful shot, and it's only, only going to get better over the next couple of days. Um, so we're live uh, from 10 p.m. on SBS and also in the Skoda Tour Tracker. 
And that's going to be it from us today. Um, we'll see you tomorrow. And bye-bye. Bye.